1: Week three in the House impeachment inquiry into President Trump is wrapping up. Here are some updates to keep you up to speed. Two associates of Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, were arrested Wednesday on campaign finance charges. The two men are charged with scheming to funnel foreign money to U.S. politicians in an effort to affect U.S.-Ukraine relations. Both men have helped Giuliani investigate former Vice President Joe Biden and his son. But the indictment does not mention Giuliani or suggest that he was part of the alleged crimes. House investigators issued subpoenas to those two men following their arrest. Thursday, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said he would be open to a joint investigation of Ukraine's role in the U.S. presidential election in 2016 and of the Burisma Gas Company, which had recruited Joe Biden's son Hunter to its board. But Zelensky didn't elaborate except to point out that no one has presented Ukraine with evidence of any wrongdoing. Also Thursday, House Democrats subpoenaed Energy Secretary Rick Perry, giving him a deadline of October 18th to produce key documents related to the impeachment inquiry. In a phone call with House Republicans last week, Trump emphasized that he had made a July 25th call with Zelensky at the request of Perry. Trump said Perry urged him to contact Zelensky to discuss a liquefied natural gas project. And while developments in the impeachment inquiry have dominated domestic politics, a controversy has arisen over U.S. foreign policy. On Sunday, after a phone call with Turkish President Erdogan, President Trump announced a decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria's border with Turkey. Essentially, Trump announced that the United States would not stand in Turkey's way as they move forward on a long-expected offensive into northeast Syria. Turkey's goal in such an offensive is to push the Syrian Kurds back from the border region. But these Syrian Kurds are U.S. allies, and they've been fighting alongside Americans against the Islamic State for years. Essentially, the U.S. withdrawal leaves the Kurds on their own to fight against Turkey. In written statements, Trump linked his decision to withdraw U.S. forces to his goal of ending the insurgent wars that have dominated the U.S. military's focus for two decades. Meanwhile, critics, including many Republicans in Congress, warned that the Turkish assault was a threat to U.S. policy interests and that moving our troops away from the border area means abandoning our Kurdish allies. On Wednesday, with U.S. troops out of the area, Turkey began its offensive into northeast Syria. What led to Trump's controversial decision? How have the foreign policy events of the past week tested the bounds of Trump's Republican support? And how critical is their unwavering support as Trump faces an ongoing impeachment inquiry? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Later in this episode, I talked to national political reporter Robert Costa about exactly how Trump's foreign policy decision in Syria relates to the ongoing impeachment inquiry. But first, I wanted to better understand the details of the very complicated situation in Turkey and Syria. I turned to The Post's Pentagon reporter, Dan Lamoff. Before we dove into the details, I asked him to just lay out the basics of the conflict for me.
0: In a nutshell, Turkey notified the White House on Sunday that they were launching a military operation into northern Syria that potentially or realistically will target one of the best counterterrorism partners the United States had in Syria. The group known as the YPG has ties to another group that Turkey considers a terrorist group, The United States considers a terrorist group, and Turkey has always been uncomfortable at best and angry on a frequent basis about the United States' decision to partner with this group, the YPG, because of the ugly history between the YPG and Turkey. So they roll in, and the concern is they're going to do a whole lot more than they say. This could get very bloody very quickly, and one of the best allies the United States had in northern Syria could get seriously messed up in, a, in another flavor of this war. And the United States is largely on the sidelines at this point.
1: Let's unpack that. The YPG group, they're Kurdish. Who are the Kurds Exactly.
0: The Kurds are a group that span a few different countries, primarily northern Syria and northern Iraq. There are several groups within those Kurds. They don't all see eye to eye on every issue. They don't all collaborate on every issue. So when it comes to national security, when it comes to U.S. military operations over the last few years in Iraq, uh, one group that often came up was the Peshmerga. Uh, That's an Iraqi Kurdish group. They worked with a lot of different U.S. forces in areas like Mosul, in areas like Kirkuk, uh, some of the large cities in Iraq and some of that area that's sort of a semi-autonomous part of Iraq. They have their own regional government. They still count as Iraq, but it it gets it gets complicated. Syria is even more complicated. (laughs) uh, And that's really what comes up here. So the the main group that the U.S. military aligned itself with during the counter-ISIS operations there is called the YPG. They set up uh, a, again, sort of unofficial semi-autonomous area. uh,
1: In northern Syria?
0: In northern Syria. And they were really looking to keep that. I I think that was, you know, their their own motivation for working with us was, one, these terrorists were in their area as well, uh, a threat to them as well.
1: Meaning the Islamic State. Yes.
0: And then two, there was always, I think, the hope on their side that, you know, maybe they could find some sort of pocket in northern Syria to call their own.
1: Right. Because they don't necessarily have a a nation, a homeland.
0: Exactly. And, And, you know, you've got the Assad government farther south and west that isn't really doing them any favors. But the YPG in particular kind of had their own flavor. Uh, you know, they're modern in some ways. You know, they had all-female unit. Just in terms of how they see the world, it's a lot more Western than some of the other groups that we've been aligned with.
1: What's the relationship like then between Turkey and the Kurds, specifically this YPG group?
0: It's, it's not good, and it hasn't been good for decades. Uh, there, there is a Kurdish group called the PKK that both the United States government and the Turkish government consider to be a terrorist organization. The PKK is not the same as the YPG, but there are a lot of links.
1: So you have Turkey concerned about the growing power of this Kurdish group in Syria along the Turkish border because of terrorism that's occurred in Turkey. So what does Turkey want to see happen to the Kurds that are in this border area?
0: I think there are two things here. One is what they're saying. uh, and And the second is what everybody's concerned about. What they're saying is that they want to set up a safe zone and push the Kurdish area 20 miles off the border. They want to be able to resettle some of these Syrian refugees that moved into Turkey in that area and basically push them farther back from Turkey for their own safety in their own eyes.
1: So that's what they're saying, what's actually happening.
0: The concern is while that all might be in part true, They don't necessarily discriminate on on who they consider a threat and that women, children, non-military men get rolled up in this uh, and that it could get quite ugly. And that especially considering the history between the Kurds and the Turks, they kind of consider all of the above uh, to be potentially terrorist and that you may have a bloodbath on your hands.
1: Is it possible for the Turkish military to distinguish who is aligned with terrorist groups and who's not among those Kurdish forces?
0: Possible, I suppose. How they view the world and how the United States views the world on that is probably not the same.
1: So then on Sunday, the White House announces that they'll pull about 100 U.S. military personnel from parts of northern Syria and essentially give Turkey the go ahead to launch this offensive against the Kurds to establish this buffer zone. We've since seen that happen. Turkish forces have launched into Syria. Can you explain to me why that move by the White House to have Trump essentially endorse an offensive from Turkey against the Kurds is controversial? Uh,
0: there, there's a couple pieces here that are that are important to point out. One is that you go back over the last several months, the U.S. military, when it talks about this at all, has focused on joint patrols that they wanted or hoped to see between Turkish forces and U.S. military, U.S. special operations personnel. We've seen Rangers up there. There's probably Special Forces up there. I it mean, it's the desire was we will do this together, and I think in part because of that, the desire was basically we will be there if things start to go very awry. We will be able to kind of put this back in the box or or guide this process to having some sort of safe zone that Turkey would call it. We didn't even use that phrase because we saw that phrase is loaded. They use security mechanism area. So there have been patrols as recently as several days before this White House call. The Pentagon was highlighting the fact that these patrols had been happening and happening recently. They also sent US military personnel into Turkey to set up a new operations center, a headquarters of sorts uh, in Ankara, the capital, to work with the Turkish military. And have a sense for how this was all playing out. Collaborate where it made sense. uh, Monitor where it was probably a bit more of a concern. All of that seemed to be maybe a sort of slowly progressing thing that could be okay. I think everybody realistically thought that there was also the possibility at any point that Turkey would either get fed up with the way it was going or just never really be invested in it and just do their own thing. On Sunday, Turkey indicated that's exactly what they were going to do. This gets especially complicated now because the United States talked the Kurdish groups, YPG in particular, into destroying some of the fortifications they had, some of the defense you know, bunkers, that kind of thing that they had in that area, their own ways to protect themselves, uh, and talked them into moving into different areas within that border area kind of in that last week or so, you know, hey, we're working with the Turks, you know, basically help us help you. Now the Turkey saying, thanks, but no thanks. And oh, by the way, we've done several patrols. So we know the way this area looks. We've basically been able to do recon on these patrols is the concern from some of the U.S. officials that I've talked to.
1: Okay, so that sort of led into the conversation between Trump and and Turkish President Erdogan on Sunday. What ultimately came out of that call between the two leaders?
0: On its face, you have a statement that comes out initially in which the administration says, Turkey's going to do this. We're going to get out of the way. Uh, Subtext, Turkey's doing this whether we want to or not. And the White House has the choice at that point of trying to, in some way, push back against a longtime NATO treaty ally in Turkey or this group that has shed a great deal of blood working directly with the U.S. military over the last five years against the Islamic State.
1: So not an easy choice.
0: Not an easy choice. Not, and, and no matter what you do, there. I mean, it's a very emotional issue. I mean, you know, like 11,000 or so Kurdish security forces have been killed against the Islam- Islamic State. They basically functioned in a lot of ways as the United States ground force. The U.S. military kept saying that they would fight by, with, and through its partner forces on the ground the YPG being the most prominent when it came to that northern Syria area, and kind of make it work. That was never going to be okay with Turkey, long term.
1: And this is evidence of that. Exactly. So how does Trump's decision align then or not align with recommendations from the Pentagon?
0: Uh, The Pentagon was really trying to make this security mechanism thing work. Uh, We saw statements as recently as Thursday, before that Sunday call, uh, in which they were highlighting the the patrol. They were getting pointy questions, even at that point, from some of the reporters in the room focused on the Middle East, on, oh, hey, you can't even agree on what you're calling this thing, safe zone versus security mechanism, and more or less, how are you so sure this is going to work? I suspect now, in retrospect, the Pentagon was trying to message to Turkey that this could work put as happy of a face on this as it could for as long as they could and hope it just worked out. Mm -hmm. Once Turkey said, we're doing this, and they're not asking, they're telling, the recommendation from the Pentagon at that point appears to have been, we should move our U.S. personnel within Syria, back from some of these border areas, probably, you know, dozens of miles, something like that.
1: So why has this met so much condemnation from Republicans?
0: It's seen as a betrayal of the YPG. It's seen as a potential bloodbath, ethnic cleansing, all those sorts of terms come up. And we're not sure yet exactly how this will play out or what kind of restraint Turkey may or may not show. But the signs are there and the history is there where this could go very poorly. And we are not really positioned to do a whole lot on the ground.
1: Have we seen anything going poorly thus far?
0: There are already reports of children being killed. There are already reports of civilian convoys being hit. There are already reports of buildings that are not military targets being hit. Um, in the best of circumstances, war tends to not be pretty and not oh, you don't always hit what you want. You can try your best. But the Turks also have a history where they, they're not trying as hard to be as accurate as the United States military necessarily tries to be.
1: Does this move affect how our other allies view America as a military partner?
0: The United States has a history. Uh, There are examples in the 70s and 80s. I mean, the Kurds have a history of when it benefits the United States, it often also benefits them to be working together. And then the United States also has a history of been, you know, leaving uh, and then the Kurds are on their own again.
1: So this isn't unprecedented.
0: No. I mean, it, I mean, you've seen a lot of language of, oh, they got screwed again. And it's that kind of thing. Uh, and that's why it's so emotional. Uh, and it's this weird thing where they are not an official government. We are trying to work with the Iraqi government. We are trying to figure out that northern Syria puzzle while Turkey has. You know, it's on their southern border. They're deeply invested in this. They're deeply angry in some ways about this and you know we're trying to not make it worse and try and figure it out islamic state you know the the actual physical caliphate you know the the territory they had that's you know that it that was a victory but that was never going to be to wash your hands and it's over like you got to figure out what's next and there hasn't been a, a great sense that we have a plan there for that
1: so one thing I just want to clarify here is President Trump and the, the the decisions that President Trump made essentially aligned with what the Pentagon was requesting.
0: That's a good question, because one of the things we're trying to understand now is, did the Pentagon really recommend that? Did it recommend that because of what the president said? Did it feel boxed in and was like, well, we got to make we got to get get our people out of harm's way. And, and then there's all the questions of, OK, you know, do you want 50 or 100 special forces members fighting it out with a NATO ally. Uh, I mean, the, the just the, the, the way these things go, like the, there's no practical off-ramp that's not ugly for somebody and ugly for somebody that we are supposed to be, you know, in some, on some level aligned with.
1: So then to sort of return to this question, if fundamentally we're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, what is it about Trump's decision-making here that seems to have riled up Republicans and become so controversial across the aisle.
0: I think the way it was rolled out on a Sunday night in a statement that was lacking context at best uh, with more or less the excuse made, but no context of why uh, was a problem. I also think that th- the fact that it didn't look like Trump pushback back at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he did. Uh, But the supposition at this point, based on the way that this has been portrayed, Turkey said, we're doing this. And Trump said, "Okay, got it. And you don't guess you don't necessarily get the sense that there was a lot of pushback here or using, you know, the the, the NATO alliance or looking for a way to fix this. And and to, to be fair, fixing it wouldn't be easy.
1: Trump's handling of this critical foreign policy moment has tested the bounds of how far some Republicans will go in supporting him. And while he's been working to silence dissent over his conduct in pressing Ukraine to investigate his political rival, Trump is simultaneously combating criticism over his Syria decision. With The Post's White House bureau chief Philip Rucker, political reporter Robert Costa reported on this challenge for Trump and how his coalition of supporters might be splitting. I asked Robert about why Trump would risk his political base and make this controversial decision in Syria.
2: To understand President Trump's decision, you have to understand the campaign he ran in 2016 for the Republican nomination. He ran as a non interventionist Republican in a field full of conservative hawks. He essentially adopted elements of Ron Paul and Senator Rand Paul's foreign policy. A belief that America's footprint abroad should be shrunk. And he has taken that worldview to the White House from diplomatic aid and foreign aid. He has recoiled at doing more of that to the U.S. troop presence in places like Syria. He has always had these non-interventionist instincts.
1: Can you speak a little bit to how he has applied that ideology to other wars in the Middle East?
2: We have seen President Trump, not only in Syria, try to move U.S. troops out. We see his approach to Afghanistan having echoes of what he has done this week, trying to take U.S. military troops and personnel and others outside of the Middle East in other war zones. This is a foreign policy that's not about having a muscular presence in different uh, foreign nations. It's about having a president who's going to be a deal maker in his own eyes, and a president who's willing to bolster the military in terms of spending. But he, he as much as he wants to put money into the military, he doesn't necessarily want to have that military everywhere.
1: And how more specifically does that differ from traditional Republican ideology on this stuff?
2: It differs not only from traditional Republican ideology, but from traditional Democratic foreign policy thinking. Post-World War II, we have seen both parties generally adopt what is considered the mainstream foreign policy view of the U.S. role in the world with some differences about the, the scope of the footprint abroad, but a belief that the U.S. should have a presence. It's only been in recent years, especially in the wake of what's happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, do we see new voices in both parties arguing against that mainstream view of having a U.S. presence in all these different nations.
1: And that comes from the past experiences over the past 30 years.
2: So much of what's happening now as a reporter, I trace back to what happened in George W. Bush's presidency. The Iraq war had an effect in how both parties confront foreign policy and the dissatisfaction in Republican ranks about people like George W. Bush as president, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and other hawks has enabled people like President Trump to step into that void and provide a different view that actually is electable.
1: All right. Well, before we get to that exactly, I want to talk about how we've seen this discrepancy sort of play out in the Republican Party over the past few days. Trump is facing an impeachment inquiry into his pressuring Ukraine to investigate a political rival. Have we seen Republicans in Congress outspoken about Trump's actions in regards to that investigation?
2: We have. And the timing is so intriguing because Republicans on impeachment have been so reluctant to speak out almost at all about President Trump's conduct, his dealings with foreign leaders like the president of Ukraine. They've been framing the Democratic's impeachment push as a partisan pursuit. At the same time, they feel like they have an opening now on this foreign policy front on Syria to offer sharp criticism of President Trump. And this criticism coming in the waves it is offers us a mirror into the Republican Party, a Republican Party that on the surface is fully with President Trump, but is willing to speak out against him at a fragile political moment. And that's what Phil Rucker and I wrote about on the front page to try to capture why the Syria debate matters in the broader Republican story.
1: Well, let's talk about some of that reporting. Which congressional Republicans have condemned Trump's decision in Syria?
2: Everyone from Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky, to rank and file Republicans in the House, you see the traditional hawkish worldview of Republicans nationally having a bit of a resurgence, and people are saying, whoa, President Trump, you've gone too far. We want to protect the Kurds. We want to have stability in the Middle East. We want to have some troops in northern Syria. Uh, but you see Senator Rand Paul very happy about the president's decision and there is this core belief in the Trump White House and in Senator Paul's camp that many Republican-based voters, as much as they want a strong military, don't actually want to have too many troops abroad. And they believe, despite the outcry, the president's in a solid position. That, but that will be tested in 2020.
1: And what about people who have criticized him? Who's, who among, Who's notable among the Republicans that have criticized him?
2: Most notable are evangelical Christians. We always knew hawks would speak out hawks wouldn't like the removal of u.s troops but evangelical christians have been a solid core support base for president trump for two and a half three years but because of their belief that christians in the middle east should be protected by u.s military presence their concerns for the kurds as u.s allies you have seen everyone from mike huckabee the former arkansas governor and presidential candidate to major pastors speak out and say, President Trump, we really like you, we're with you politically, but we don't like this decision. I spoke to David Brody from the Christian Broadcasting Network for this story, and he said it's a mini crisis moment for the evangelical Christian Republican community because they felt like President Trump has given them so much. He's nominated conservative judges, he's protected their institutions and what they see as a fast-changing culture. Is this a bridge too far? Uh, Br- Brody and other evangelical Christians we spoke to said probably not, but it's testing the limits.
1: And to be clear, it's particularly important for Trump to maintain his basis support, and evangelicals included, not only, of course, because the 2020 election is only a year away, but particularly because polling about his public support might swing Republicans in Congress who are likely to be making decisions about impeachment soon.
2: We're in the middle of a political War And President Trump, facing impossible impeachment in the House, will need as many allies as he can accumulate. And he knows that there are some evangelical Christian Republican senators who may be unnerved by his decision on Syria. And those are the same senators who might be with him in spirit on almost every other issue, but they will be tested if the House moves forward with impeachment and Republicans have to confront a trial of President Trump. They'll have to make a decision on
1: his fate. So in light of impeachment and the news out of Turkey and Syria, what do we know about what Trump is doing to maintain his base's support at this point?
2: The White House believes the president has enough political capital to carry him forward, even as others express dissatisfaction with his decision. But that doesn't mean they don't see the cracks in the Republican Party. Phil Rucker and I looked into how the White House is going to handle the skittishness in the GOP. We were told by several Trump aides That Mick Mulvaney, the acting chief of staff, is going to mount a quiet charm offensive to try to make sure Republicans feel comfortable with President Trump as he moves forward with foreign policy and his impeachment unfolds, dinners at the White House, meetings at Camp David, phone calls. They're going to try to make an effort uh, to make sure Republicans stay in line.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about what you learned from your reporting about why Republicans might be more willing to speak out on this foreign policy issue than about the president's actions regarding the impeachment inquiry or other things he's done over the years?
2: President Trump has framed impeachment as a partisan crusade. So speaking out about impeachment, even if you're uneasy with how President Trump handled himself on the phone call with President Zelensky in July, is politically vulnerable territory for many Republicans. They don't want to be out on a limb when you talk to them privately. They say they don't want to be out there complaining about President Trump or raising a red flag, or else maybe their base voters would revolt against them for not being uh, there at the barricades for President Trump. But on foreign policy and on a complicated issue like Syria that's not grabbed the country's attention, they can be themselves a little more and be more traditionally Republican And feel like President Trump, because he's outside of the mainstream of his own party on foreign policy, can't attack them with the same force and the same power that he could attack them should they take a different position on impeachment.
1: Might they still feel that he could personally offer some backlash towards those individuals?
2: They may fear that. But Senator Graham and others have continued to move forward. And uh, President Trump, for now, has held back some of his fire on his... Syria critics. He knows that he needs a lot of these Republicans to be with him for impeachment. So if they're out there complaining about his Syria decision, you don't see the umbrage from President Trump and the anger that you would see on so many different issues if Republicans broke.
1: All right. So as you continue to report on this, do you expect that the circumstances surrounding Turkey and Syria will have a significant impact on the impeachment inquiry, or ultimately will these two things live in separate silos despite their sort of simultaneous timelines.
2: They are separate silos in terms of policy. Impeachment is as far away as you can get from northern Syria as a political issue. But they're interconnected because if President Trump continues to anger Republicans on issues like Syria, he's going to start to wonder, does he really have the party fully in his grip? People inside of the White House told Phil and I that they're concerned that if too many tensions crop up, could that grip that has been such a firm grip for President Trump for two and a half years, could it start to unravel if Republicans start to fall away, not on the impeachment issue, but just on general issues of foreign policy, on tweets of his conduct, exhaustion. And so they're aware of that dynamic, but they also know they can't control President Trump. And if he's going to take a position in northern Syria, he's going to take that position and the fallout will be what the fallout will be.
1: And as we look ahead, what would some of those signs be that perhaps that grip is, is loosening?
2: I'm paying attention to, as a reporter, suburban Republicans, do they start to say too much on impeachment, too much on Syria, for retiring Republicans, Lamar Alexander in Tennessee, for example, in the Senate, uh, Johnny Isaacson in Georgia. You start to wonder, could some retiring Republicans peel away from President Trump for whatever reason? And then the moderates uh, and those who were up in 2020: Senator Collins of Maine, Senator Gardner of Colorado, Senator Ernst of Iowa. Not always moderate. There, some, Senator Collins is certainly moderate, but they're vulnerable. They're in tough races. So the suburban Republicans, 2020 Republicans in, Senate, in the Senate, and the retiring Republicans. That's the the first line that could fall if it ever does fall.
1: All right, Robert, we'll we'll look out for that. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Since the impeachment inquiry began, we've received a lot of really interesting questions from our listeners. Questions like, can the president run in 2020 if he's facing an impeachment? We want to hear more questions like those. So submit them to me at allison.michaels at washpost.com. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the vibrant, Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely
0: guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is cover-up season four, The Anthrax Threat, available now.